is up world. Yali Tlaltik Pak. We back in this bitch. Another grito. Another podcast for that ass. Coming about less than two weeks this time after our last podcast. So a little bit of improvement. I know I always talk shit about this. Kind of like a didn't pick it up, I guess. Uh, a running joke for me personally. Hopefully you've enjoyed it yourself. I know me. It makes me fucking laugh all the damn time. Mostly in realizing how quickly the time passes honestly it doesn't seem like it's been two weeks since my last fucking podcast man it seems like literally just yesterday which leads me to wonder which leads me to consider where the fuck is the time gone where the fuck is the time going what even is time etc and so on and forth so forth if you're interested on a discussion on the nature the ontology if you will of time i got another podcast that's dedicated well an episode same podcast different episode dedicated to that very thing on heidegger it's called i think something like being in time so you know feel free to check that out if you feel so inclined but um i'm also going to drop another one in the future i know i have like this list of fucking podcasts that i'm trying to get out to you all it's just mostly the research element that's keeping me preoccupied from being able to do so at the time but um at the moment i should say and it will be furthermore on the philosophy of time this time uh with different you know philosophers interspersed like nietzsche and so on but more specifically on the actual ontology of time like the fundamental makeup of what time is so i'm looking forward to getting that out to you whenever the fuck that may well be which is not gonna be today why because i got a different podcast lined up for y'all spooky season bro you know i had to drop a motherfucking horror podcast before the end of spooky season dog we're about five three days away holy shit again where the fuck does the time go we're about three days away from the uh uh halloween right so i felt it was appropriate at this point to go ahead and drop the the spooky season podcast so before we get into it um let's just quick with the you know with the formalities if you haven't already follow your boy on social media og underscore ice nice 13 on the gram something along the same lines on facebook okay i'm not even gonna get into the twitter spiel because you already know the deal right so without further ado the horror of philosophy or perhaps for this particular episode more aptly put the philosophy of actual horror okay um the quick little intersplay is just intended to you know just to, just to reiterate a previous podcast that i posted before um not entirely on the subject which i guess i need to do that as well but quickly the philosophy of horror is entirely different from the horror of philosophy and that the latter is talking about just how horrifying philosophy is in general not for three reasons two of the most important ones that i vibe with is that for one philosophy ultimately collapses on itself which means that it has no answer to why it is even a an issue of importance right um why we should even concern ourselves with philosophy which because you know if it can't answer the fundamental questions of reality if we can't even answer what philosophy is then honestly what the fuck good is philosophy for us okay and you can add on to that mixed problems of like if it's no, no practical use if it's just simply an intellectual exercise right realistically what's the point of philosophy okay but the one that's really most important is the epistemological stance and again the epistemological stance in this claim is that if philosophy is unable to arrive at some sort of an answer, then it's essentially intellectually useless, right? So that's a little bit of the horror in philosophy because, you know, from the intellectual uselessness, you get to the problems of existence inevitably because these problems are obviously grounded in epistemology. So the problem of existence would come into play as like, not only what the fuck are we as philosophers doing, but what the fuck is going on in reality, right? Because if we can't have an answer to this, then what the fuck is even happening? You know what I'm saying? 
Um, so you, you flip that and you get to the philosophy of horror, which is mostly what it sounds like. And this is the third part of the horror philosophy that I didn't really get into too much because ultimately it does ask us to read the horror philosophy, right? Uh, horror, the horror genre as an actual genre, right? And that's kind of what the philosophy of horror is doing. It's basically reading like a horror movie through a philosophical lens. So instead of just analyzing it from like, you know, film and media, you would discuss like the philosophical ramifications that are coming up in like a horror movie or a horror book and so on. Okay. And that's kind of along the lines of what I'm going to be doing. So with this particular podcast, but what I'm going to take it, I'm going to flip it, not just from a particular horror movie, because there's plenty of analyses out there that are going to talk about the philosophy, if you will, behind horror movies. For those of you watching the video, I can't stop fucking with this microphone. Sorry if it's distracting you, but, um, there's plenty of videos out there and maybe I actually do in fact have planned to make one eventually myself, but this is not that particular podcast, right? What I'm trying to say is that if those are the ones you're interested in this episode, rather, this isn't this episode. Uh, if that's what you're interested in though, by all means, I, I, I highly encourage you to go out and, you know, research the, 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 the videos that break down the horror films through philosophical lenses because they're fucking dope, right? Or read the books because there's some really good books about it as well. Um, but for me personally, for today, at least what I'm going to break it down is why, why is the horror of philosophy or rather more aptly again, the philosophy of horror, an important topic. And more importantly, to add on to, you know, my qualification for what makes for good philosophy, why is it a relevant or even more importantly, a practical example in philosophy? Okay. Now, obviously there's a variety of answers to this question. The first of which simply being that because it's fucking fun, man, like honestly, okay. Um, it's fun to watch horror movies, especially if you grew up on the genre, right? It's fun to just engage with this kind of shit. And it's honestly, for me personally, a lot more fun than reading a fucking, philo- like just a cut and dry philosophical textbook, right? So when you're reading the philosophy of horror, it's it's more interesting to learn about, you know, the ethical ramifications of Jason murdering a bunch of teenagers, as opposed to, you know, some deontological argument r- written by some fucking 18th century British guy, like it's just, or a German guy. It's just so much more fa- fascinating to me personally, okay? Um... But on another more personal level, the reality is, yo, like, honestly, me and I'm sure probably you too, we live this shit every day through waking consciousness, bro. That's the real horror. Again, when we break it down to the philosophy, the horror philosophy, the problem of consciousness, man, like when, you know, we like to assume that horror, 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 I try not to say horror here, right? Not because of any sexual, you know, connotations involved with it, but because I'm trying to be very specific what I'm talking about, right? So the philosophy of horror, we live this shit, man, whether you've acknowledged it or not on a conscientious level, different story. But you know, me personally, and I'm assuming you too, if you fuck with this podcast, you've probably recognized it at some point as well. The horror of consciousness, of fucking living through everyday waking consciousness, period. And then, of course, from there, everything else that is associated with it, okay? Now, I've touched briefly, again, on the horrors of consciousness in general, um, but specifics, they're equally important as well, okay? So, in this case, what I'm talking about is some deeply, deeply philosophical fucking issues, especially like in the existential tradition of philosophy. And these are the issues such as living with anxiety, living through trauma, okay? living with fear of the future, living with dread, angst, melancholy, right? These are all deeply philosophical issues. And more importantly, they're living states of fucking horror, man. Hence the importance of philosophizing with the, through this philosophy of horror, because anybody that's experienced any sort of anxiety, dread, depression, um, you know, trauma, 
the, the it, it's, it's, pr it's pretty obvious, right? It's a syllogism, obviously, even to state that this shit is horrifying to have to live through on a daily basis, not just the actual experience that leads to these, you know, uh, anxiety, feelings of uh, anxiety, depression, uh, not only just through the experience of trauma itself, but the ensuing uh, days, that, you know, or months and years, however much long your entire life that you have to go along having to live with and through this shit. You know what I mean? And this is where even if you haven't recognized the fucking horror yet or acknowledged, not really acknowledged or recognized, I'm saying like if you haven't necessarily come deeply to grips with just how horrifying uh, consciousness is, for sure, maybe you've had to experience some of those other things like anxiety, depression, dread, etc. Maybe perhaps even trauma. And you're starting to realize like, oh, yeah, that's also pretty fucking horrifying. You know what I mean? It's fucking horrible to live with anxiety, bro, with unresolved trauma, with existential dread. Living just in general, okay? It just appears to be flat out fucking horrifying, man. And so this is kind of where we're picking up here with this, you know, horror philosophy. It's this idea that existence is horrifying and that for some reason or another, we as human beings, we are wired in such a way that we seem to just be able to dismiss this fact, okay? And continue on living with business as usual when it does introduce itself into our world. So what the fact is that I'm talking about here is that, you know, like, again, me personally, obviously I fucks heavy with the philosophy of horror, the horror philosophy, right? But even me myself, I fucking forget just how horrifying existence is pretty often, actually, because more often than not, uh, you know, I'm more focused on the beauty of life, which that's the weird fucking part is like, why? What, what, what is happening here where we are able to forget for a second or however long it might be? to induce the state of fallenness, if you will, to, you know, remain faithful to the previous podcast that I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the podcast of uh, this episode, um, the one on Heidegger, you know what I'm saying? How is it that we seem to fucking fall into this average everydayness? Like, how is it that we're wired in such a way to, again, forget about how truly horrifying existence is and continue living on with just a seemingly regular life, right? So yeah, the part that I'm trying to mention here is like the point that I'm trying to get to here is how fucking crazy it is that we seem to be fucking hardwired in such a way where we just straight up fucking forget. And it's going to bring up issues like about free will and shit, like in the sense of if we're just forgetting in many instances without conscientiously choosing, it seems as though we're simply just wired in such a way where, you know, um, forgetting how fucking horrifying this existence can be is basically, you know, again, it's just wired into us. And if that's the case, then we have to ask ourselves much, much more questions, such as, do I even have fucking free will to begin with? Which is something completely fucking horrifying in and of itself that we'll address here shortly, right? But for now, the point that I'm trying to get to is how fucking crazy it is that, you know, we got people who are legit fucking like running around, dog. They're like running around and shit. And they're masking, if you will, this constant scream, if you will, this constant scream that, you know, starts with birth and it ends with death. And it just, it never really goes away. You know what I'm saying? We just do a really good job of fucking hiding it. But for the most part, everyone is fucking terrified. No one knows what the fuck is going on. And we're all kind of just looking. It's like that little Mr. Meeseeks. Mr. <laughs> nah. Mr. Meeseeks from um, Rick and Morty, right? The existence of pain kind of deal. And that's kind of what's going on. But instead of like being outward with it, like, oh my God, this is fucking terrible. I can't stand living like this, right? We need to be with existence is pain type deal. We mask it. We learn to mask it. And in many ways, we, we learn to forget it. Now, the question is, is that a conscientious choice or is it again, a matter of being biologically hardwired into us? And that's kind of the point that I'm trying to get to here shortly, right? Because ultimately, as we're going to see, as I start to dissect a little bit of the horror of the problem of free will, we're going to realize that if it's just a matter of 
uh, uh, determinism in the sense that you don't have a choice, then realistically that implies shit like you don't have a, a choice over the trauma that you experienced. And conversely, the only way that you're going to heal from it is if it was already determined for you. And that's fucking horrifying because if it wasn't determined for you, then that means that you're going to live the rest of your life having to deal with the issues associated with that unresolved trauma. And, um, you know, ideally many of us don't want to believe that we don't want to think that we're victims to our biological precepts in many ways. And that we do in fact have some sort of agency and choice over whether or not we can ultimately heal. Okay. So again, it goes back to this idea of how this fucking trauma, you know, at best, at best, what it seems like most of us have just gotten really good at hiding it. But again, it never fucking disappears at best. Right. It's just, it's always ready there. It's always there ready to rear its ugly little head. Okay. Um, and it generally happens at the most inopportune moment, okay? Generally, those that are induced by chaos or catastrophe. And and yet, somehow, this is the part that's tripping me out. This is the part that I've been, you know, really, foc- uh, really fucking with when it comes to this idea is that even in the face of these traumatic events, such as, you know, ca- you know tr- uh, chaotic and traumatic events, those of us that aren't fucking familiar with it or, uh, you know, have firsthand, uh, have been affected by, the, by it in a firsthand way, we definitely, we definitely fucking move on quickly, right? Um, and definitely even forget about them. And, and, you know, that's, that, that, that part really fucks with me, dog, because I'll give you an example that just happened here in El Paso, like less than a month ago, okay? Um, there was a car accident in my hood, in my hood, just like right around the way, okay? Here in the Northeast El Paso. And what happened essentially, and you know what's devastating about this is because I, you know, just, I'm not, I wasn't there. I don't even know the people that were associated with, you know, but um, just given the culture, I already, I can already imagine basically what happened. And here's what happened is there was a family who went out late at night to go get, you know, I, I, this is me assuming, because again, this is just, just given the culture. Okay. They, I'm assuming they went out to get like fucking food or snacks or something. It was a weekend. Okay. My guess is that they were probably at home chilling and they decided, yeah, let's go get some fucking snacks or some food or whatever, okay? And again, given the culture of El Paso, I'm almost certain that what happened is they got in the car and they said to themselves, yo, we're only going fucking down the block. Like, it's not even that big of a deal. Don't bother buttoning, don't bother, you know, buckling up or nothing. Which unfortunately ended in their demise because they got into a car accident. Some fucking asshole who fled the scene uh, T-boned them doing at a high rate of speed. And the family, most of the family, it was like five people, three of the five people wound up dying, including some infants, yo. And this is the part where we say like, you know, when I, when I bring up the don't even bother buckling up because I know me myself personally, I've been in that situation knowing the culture, you know what I mean? I've been in that situation where you're like, oh, dog, we're just going down the street. Don't even bother buckling up. It's just chill. We're fucking, it's right there right away. You know what I mean? And unfortunately for them, that's probably something that they've done themselves plenty of times as well. And this one particular fateful time, it just did not work out well in their favor. Okay. And um, I bring it up because this fucking story, it literally shook the whole city, bro. It fucking took, it completely destroyed the city, honestly, in many ways for those people who were keeping up with it because it was so emotional, so impactful. And again, knowing the culture of the city, it's something that people all around the city, not just in my hood, have uncertainly, undoubtedly, without question, have done themselves. And um, the fact that there was, you know, the loss of innocent young life, I'm talking infants, yo, three months old, uh, that were lost because of this tragedy. It really fucking jarred the community, okay? And then we just forgot. We forgot all about it. I know me personally, I didn't even remember it had happened until I started, until I fucking sat down and prepared, uh, started preparing for this particular podcast. And that really fucked with me because I was like, yo, just fucking uh, three weeks ago, I was shook. Me personally, I was fucking shook by that story. You know, it it haunted me, you know, living through or imagining having to live through such an experience that the parent, the father, he lived, you know what I mean? Along with two, 
or rather with one another with one of his other children, a teenage age child. And I was just imagining the horror that that father is going to have to go through waking up and realizing because he's in a coma or was. I haven't even kept up with it. That's the point I'm trying to make here, right? Um, but he was the last time I checked. And having to deal with the reality of what had happened, you know what I mean? Like the, all of that situation was just fucking horrifying. But then I forgot. I forgot all about it, which, and I'm sure a lot of other people in the city did too. Okay. Which was weird to me because again, you would imagine that something so horrifying would have such an impactful, traumatic impact on you. Now, again, assuming, you know, thankfully I was not involved with it. So maybe it would undoubtedly have that lasting effect. But even then there's people who have experienced fucking trauma firsthand in that severity who seem capable of moving on. And that's, again, the part that was really, you know, starting to fuck with me. And, you know, this is where the philosophy of horror starts to come into play. When you start to, when you ask this fundamental question, and it's this fundamental question of utmost importance, and that is, well, why? Why? Why are we so quick to forget how fucking terrifying the world is in general, okay? And reality is as a whole. Like, how is it that we are so able to do this? Are we fundamentally, again, are we fundamentally wired to do so? And, you know, and if so, why is it just because it's a matter of fucking continued ensuring continued reproduction? And what I mean by that is that once people become aware, this is like the whole anti-natalist argument is to make as many people aware of this so that we can cease reproducing and cease all the suffering because all suffering is inherently linked with human consciousness. Right. So if we seek reproducing, if we stop reproducing, rather then you stop producing more human consciousnesses and then thus end suffering. OK, um. And that's kind of what I'm saying was like, is it fundamentally hardwired into us in the sense that, you know, this is not good for whatever purpose it is that humans are here. So it's wired into us in such a way where we forget how fucking horrifying it is so that we do, in fact, continue to bring more children to this planet. Okay, so it's hardwired into our DNA and there's just no escaping it, let alone the possibility of addressing it. Right. So, again, this brings up the fucking the problem of free will, which I'll get into a little bit deeper here. But for now, you know, um, it, it's important to first ask ourselves, you know, like how often do we question why certain elements of our existence, we don't need to, you know, fundamentally, we, we don't, we're not fundamentally responsible for them. Okay. So take the beating of your heart, for example. Why is it that, you know, only when you're maybe super baked or whether when you're pressed, you know, when it's brought to your attention, that the fact that you're not responsible for the beating of your heart suddenly become an issue, right? You're super baked and you start feeling your heart beating like, oh my God, right? Not that I would know since high school. Okay. But the point is here, you know, it's not until that extreme uh, state of mind where, you know, you feel perhaps that you're on the precipice of fucking death, although you're not going to be, okay? Or when it's brought to your the, the front of your consciousness as it is being now that we're made aware of the fact, again, that we're not responsible for the beating of our heart. We're not responsible for the regulating of our body temperature for our breathing, okay? It's biologically hardwired into us. So the question then becomes... Is then so too the desire to rid ourselves of the realization of the fragile, the fragility and the horror of reality, right? Is there some sort of fragile grip of reality, more importantly, I'm trying to say here, that is biologically wired into us in order to ensure our continued reproduction, okay? And if so, is it similar to that which, you know, is associated with the beating of our heart, with the regulation of our core body temperature, with our breathing, and so on, Okay. And then more importantly, say that it is, okay, but inevitably that it is still brought to our attention. How is it then that in turn that once the fear associated with these realizations fade away, that our concern with these issues do as well, right? So say that you've, you've made it to the end of your terrible trip and you've no longer worried about the beating of your heart because it's beating too fast because of the anxiety or whatever, right? 
There was a moment there when you were fucking horrified for your existence. You thought for sure this was the end, that you were going to be the first casualty to marijuana, right? Induced death. And that no matter what happened ever again in the future, you would never fucking smoke out of fear of having to experience that again. Until the high fades away and the concern goes with it. And thus too does in many instances your commitment, if you will, to never be in that induced state of paranoia ever again, right? All the associated feelings of horror that you experienced when you were in that state of mind, they disappear, right? Um, and the question is, well, why, right? Like the fear that I'm maybe introducing to you right now by mentioning that you've never had to worry about controlling your heart rate, controlling your breathing, controlling your body temperature, right? There's a brief moment maybe that goes in there where you start thinking to yourself, you're like, oh, fuck, if I don't conscientiously focus on breathing, I'm going to die right now, right? But then inevitably that fucking feeling goes away and you realize, well, that's fucking stupid because that's not how the, that's not how my body works. How is that possible with also feelings of fear, Okay. And again, now this is the part where we get into the problem of free will, because if that shit really is nothing more than an illusion, free will now, and we're just blindly out here multiplying for some greater purpose that is completely beyond our rationale, what does that say about like individual human actions, especially the most horrific? Okay, so when you take it from the problem of free will, it's going to say that, let's say murder, for instance, let's say you were the victim of a murder. If we don't have free will, then that means that you were basically born for no other reason than to be murdered, okay? And conversely, let's say that you are the murderer. If we don't have free will, that means that you were only born to be a murderer and that there's nothing that you could have done to stop it. So then, you know, you get more ethical issues like should this person or can this person even be held accountable? To which science is going to tell us, well, realistically, no, because they didn't have free will, so they didn't have a choice. But from a jurisprudence perspective, from the law's perspective, you want to say, well, fuck that person. They murdered me or my loved one, and I want justice to be enacted upon them. But how can justice be enacted upon somebody who didn't have a conscientious choice in the actions that they would be engaging in, right? So there's that horrifying element when you start to realize, well, like, what the fuck part of my entire life is actually a result of my conscientious volition, my agency? Or is it all just an illusion and I have been responsible for none of my life and I cannot be held accountable for the bad as well as I cannot take credit for the good that has occurred because of it, right? Moreover, right, this gets into a deeper, this like more existential element when you start to realize we, we imagine ourselves, for instance, as being these completely unique individuals. But when we start to consider it in this lens where we're just, you know, being mindlessly reproduced for whatever purpose, we're essentially reduced to nothing more than a giant ant in a fucking giant human colony. OK, just another drone ant. Which means then that there's there's not realistically any redeeming qualities about our existence. We're not fundamentally unique in any particular way, okay? And that there is essentially no difference between our individual selves and the billions of the ants in the colonies that have preceded us and that will precede us, okay? After our uh, before our existence and after our demise. So what I mean by that is like, yo, when you like look at an ant colony, um. And let's say you see a trail of ants. You don't, you can't single out one particular individual ant among them. They're basically just a bunch of little uh, uh, mechanistic clones that are working in giant and as, as a giant organism. Okay, and to sit down and individually pinpoint which one, as you know, let's say you or me or another individual person, would be basically impossible. Okay, and thus the same becomes true then of you and I when it comes to this problem of free will. Like if there's no redeeming qualities about us, if we're nothing more than you know bound to the biological predisposition of our you know DNA, 
then realistically speaking, our existence and our demise is ultimately is ultimately inconsequential, okay? Because again, there's no redeeming qualities about our existence. There's nothing that separates us as uniquely whole or individual rather. And thus, there's really no fucking point for us to be here. Again, more of the horror-inducing elements associated with the philosophy of horror, okay? Now, whether it's your existence or your loved one's existence, in the end, it'll, the end will inevitably be the same, okay? And when enough time has passed, again, circling back to the recurring concept of time, it will, again, ultimately be as if we were never even here to begin with, okay? So more fear, the fear now in realizing that, well, maybe there is no there is no reason for us to be here. And if that's the case, then why do I continue to be here, okay? Now, this question, again, just questions on questions on questions, and we're only getting to the surface here, Okay. This question obviously introduces further fear-inducing questions, okay? Namely those of death and suicide. That's basically what it collapses to, okay? Um, namely the fear of death and the fear of committing suicide, right? So it seems then that we arrive at this stalemate where, where the stalemate is that we're basically too afraid to live, but too afraid to die, okay? And it's at this point where the next serious philosophical question emerges. And that is the question of what the fuck kind of life is this? Honestly, the life where you're too afraid to actually live a life, okay? Because you're afraid of, you know, the ultimate demise. But you're also simultaneously afraid of the demise, okay? So the answer is simple. It's a horrifying one, okay? It's a horrifying life where, you know, you're basically frightened into a position that life has put you into at any given moment, right? And you're ultimately paralyzed by this fear of the inevitability, paralysis by analysis. So you're literally stuck, okay? Where you're just not even living, you're kind of just existing, right? So it's pretty fucking horrifying, man. It's uh, the, the metaphor that I like to give when I'm talking about this is like, you're a fish in poisoned water. We are, we are, okay? We are fish in poisoned water. And what I mean by that is like, whether you stay in the water, whether you get out of the water, you're fucked, dog. Because one way or another, either the lack of the oxygen or the poisoned water is going to get you, essentially, okay? And that's kind of how it is that we're going through it, right? We're, you know, terrified of the ultimate demise, okay? But we're simultaneously aware that it's going to come inevitably, right? And then we're painfully going through the process of dying nonetheless every day without ever truly living. You know what I'm saying? Knowing full well that even if we find our way back into the water, if you will, we're still, again, going to be fucked nonetheless. What's the water here in this particular instance? A way of living comfortably, right? So this ultimately asks us, well, what, what does this imply for our being here, your being here, my being here? Namely in the sense that we like to believe it's to, you know, work towards some grand telos, right? This is, you know, this is this telos, this teleology, this end goal, this is something that's clearly a Western Abrahamic idea, and that it's simply another byproduct, if you will, to comfortably numb us back into that, you know, place of complacence that I was talking about earlier, where we forget about the horror that's induced by existing in the first place, right? This idea that I can endure any suffering if I know that it's for some inevitable purpose. That's that's Christian European shit, right? Maybe, or maybe you're not here for any purpose and maybe your suffering is meaningless. Who the fuck knows, honestly, okay? We have ideas that we like to believe to ourselves, but at the end, the truth, this is the, the philosophy, the horror of philosophy, the truth ultimately remains hidden from us. You know what I'm saying? So let's just say that maybe you don't believe 
uh, you don't believe me that existence is horrified. Maybe you like to look around and, you know, say, look at the, the course of human history, especially as told through religious texts. It's usually at this point where people will chime in and say, okay, well, first of all, I don't fucking agree with you that existence is horrifying, that consciousness is horrifying. And if you press them, inevitably, they'll generally come to the same answer, which is that although it's maybe a little bit trippy, it's still just okay. Like, it's all right to be alive, right? This is kind of the fundamental, uh, The this is where the that book that I've mentioned before on the Instagram feed, for those that follow, uh, The Conspiracy of the hum- Against the Human Race. This is kind of the, of the argument they advance here. The author rather advances here. And he's saying that at best, people would just say, like, it's okay to be alive. Like, it's not good or bad. Like, it just, it is what it is. And then, of course, of course you'll have the other people who will state that, no, I love being alive. It's the most beautiful thing ever. Okay, fine. And in many instances, they will look, okay, to things like the progress of history or, you know, the 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 inevitable end goal that they believe will uh, they'll attain, uh, attain rather through their religious text. And they'll point to that as justification for why the suffering is a good thing, for why it's, you know, being alive is a dope thing and, and so on. Okay. To which we say, okay, pause, pause. If being alive was so great, if existence was, wasn't so fucking horrifying, Let's look at those fucking religious texts and let's look at that history and see exactly what the fuck is going on here to see if we can even justify that statement, okay? And especially when it comes to like religion, but definitely history as well, you start to realize that, yo, a lot of the religious texts, it's realistically nothing more than these haunted fucking terrified laments of people who were just thrown into this bitch realistically, this bitch being existence, this world, okay? Uh, They have no fucking clue as to why they're here. And, you know... They have no fucking clue where they're going. And they were convinced, the religious text, specifically the Abrahamic ones, right? And still to this day, 2,000 years later, that it was going to all come to an end at any given moment. So we must do whatever that we possibly can to stop it. The Nawa obviously believed the same thing. This is what I talked about in my last podcast. They thought the sun was going to explode, and they thought that it was our responsibility to try to stop it from doing so, okay? People been worried about this kind of shit fucking forever, bro, irrespective of the religious or cultural history associated with them, Right? or even the governmental history, right? So the question is not even a matter of culture or a matter of fucking what you believe reality is shaped of. What the question is becomes is if existence wasn't so fucking horrifying, why the fuck have people always been concerned about it and trying to figure out some way to not only make sense of it, including philosophers, as well as potentially stave off the inevitability of ultimate demise, right? And the answer, ultimately, if you ask me personally, and many of the anti-natalists, not that I'm an anti-natalist myself explicitly, but it's an answer that I definitely agree with, is that because existence is fucking horrifying, okay? And what we're looking for is something to help us forget the fact that existence is, in fact, horrifying. Now, whether it's because we conscientiously need to do so, like I mentioned earlier, in the sense that we need to conscientiously keep our hearts beating, or because our thinking of it is what induces that you know the the amnesia, if you will, associated with the comfortability needed to ensure our continued survival. That's the fucking question. Okay. Now, what I'm trying to say here is that ultimately, ultimately, it's one of the reasons why I try. I really do try. It's been, I'm trying much more. I'm trying much more with religion, but you know, I just got such a a, a bone to pick with the Catholic religion. I can't seem to stop doing it, but I really do. It's not, I'm not trying to focus on individual Catholic people, okay? So much as the institution itself and the history of the church, right? But I've really tried to stop fucking with people in terms of their their beliefs about reality, right? Question no person about their religion and let them not question you about your own. That's one of those ancient proverbs, okay? 
And I'm trying to do that, right? Because I ultimately, I realized that whether it's a religious belief, a governmental belief, a belief in your favorite fucking sports team, ultimately what it boils down to each and every single time is that at any point, we're all just looking for something, anything to take the horror that we are experiencing when confronted or when confronted rather with reality away. We're just looking to pacify and numb the horror associated with existence. Okay. Now, what's crazy about this, or at least to me, about this thesis that I'm advancing here is that we have, for the most part, still, despite all the horror associated with existence, we've managed to, in a way, okay, we've managed to find a way to placate this horrifying sensation with modern society. What I mean by that is like, yo, our ancestors, our primordial ancestors, we're not experiencing the same fear, right, of surviving off of tooth and claw that they did, okay? Our lives, for the most part, especially in the Western world, are so easily catered to that when these feelings of ultimate annihilation do arise, we can just fucking, we can placate them simply. We can hop online and browse social media. We can read a book, okay? We can watch a movie, whatever, because we don't have to worry about shit like procuring food, shelter, and safety. So there's really no need for us to worry about, for the most part, you know, dying from exposure to the elements, right? Or the imminent danger associated uh, with living in the natural world, okay? We're so catered to, in fact, that it, in many of in many cases like that of myself and perhaps even you, right? If you read the fucking the um, the caption to this podcast on on, on I'm, I'm assuming iTunes, right? On iTunes or Apple Podcast or wherever the fuck else podcast app you're listening to, you'll see that the description that I put El Grito. It's like The Exorcist, but with more breakdancing. You know what I mean? That's a homage to not just the movie The Exorcist, um, but also to an album by Murder by Death, the album, right? Um, and the point that I'm trying to state here is that there's people like you and I who we fucking, I'm assuming you, all right? We love horror so much that we look to stimulate this fucking feeling associated with horror in ways that, you know, are no longer necessarily, they're not issues that we have to concern ourselves with, Right? So what I'm trying to say here is like, <laughs> I have, you know, thankfully, thankfully, me personally, my basic, the basic hierarchy of needs taken care of. I don't need to worry about for now, right? Capitalism and all that shit, food, water, shelter, safety, like it's tended to at the moment. Okay. So I'm not necessarily concerned about all the fucking primordial fears that my ancestors were. And yet, despite that, I still desire in some weird way to experience it. Why? The question becomes, why? And the answer is simple, if you want to take a scientific reductive route for it. And it's because the instincts of self-preservation, humans haven't evolved, bro. We haven't really evolved much. We're evolving still currently, but we haven't evolved much beyond our primordial ancestors. You know what I'm saying? So the fear of fucking, you know, the instincts that enabled them to survive, they're still very much intact in us human beings. And even they, you know, they even they occasionally act out on their own in terrible ways, Okay that we seek to distract so that we may continue to just get by, okay? Such as, again, anxiety attacks over ordering fucking pizza, bro. Like, come on, right? I'm not trying to diminish you if you have an anxiety attack over calling the fucking pizza delivery joint. At least now you have the apps, so that takes away much more of the human contact. But it's pretty fucking funny if you come on, if we're being honest with ourselves, that people could be so paralyzed by fear over a fucking phone conversation with in, because of instincts that, you know, enabled people thousands of years ago to survive, you know, an attack from a fucking apex predator. That's those same instincts. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of funny when you put it that way, right? And that ultimately brings us to the point that I'm trying to make here is that 
despite the fact that these fucking feelings are catered to, despite the fact that our body seems to want to reject these feelings at every possible fucking turn so that we can go back to just living this de facto life where we assume that everything was okay, including our existence, some of us actively seek them out, right? And in this case, through the horror genre. So the question, again, there's more questions on questions on questions. It becomes, well, why? Why do humans, okay, who in many instances, again, seem to have the basic necessities that were the cause for so much ancestral terror still feel the need to rekindle this fucking feeling, right? Is it, again, really just a matter of our genetic makeup? Because again, the idea that we're these non-agentive beings acting in strict accordance to our animal instincts, that's fucking horrifying, okay? It's the problem of fucking free will, man. And I'm telling you, it really is a fucking doozy, bro. And, you know, I've already talked about it in terms of the murderer and the victim, but let's take it a step further now. And let's start talking about it in terms of recovery, bro, right? Now, looking forward, does that mean that I was, again, destined to be traumatized and not only could it not be avoided, not just me, but I'm saying like I'm speaking me as in you and I collectively, individually, right? But uh, if, you know, if I couldn't have stopped it, does it also mean that I can't be, again, it, it can't be healed unless it's in the cards for me to do so? And if that's the case, man, that seems, again, pretty fucking horrifying because it renders us a victim, okay? We're vic- we become victims to life. We're, we're consigned to this passive fate, right? where these victims of life who have been consigned to these passive fate, uh, you know, of unchallenged acceptance and ultimate resignation that leads down the pit of nihilistic despair, bro, honestly, okay? At which point we must again ask ourselves, what the fuck kind of life is this, right? So in returning then back to this philosophy of horror, what we realize then is, well, what I'm going to try to advance is the idea then is that what horror does is it ultimately, in one way, allows us the opportunity to step out of this comforting days that's afforded to us by modern luxuries, right? And analyze these questions, okay? Think about these questions and realize that, yo, I have these instincts that are in place. I don't know why they're in place, but I do know that I'm acting in strict accordance to them and that because of that strict accordance to them, there's certain things that are going on in my life that unless I take the time to sit back and reflect upon, I'm potentially not going to have a chance to fucking, you know, recover from. And then my life is going to continue along this similar trajectory until the very end. And if I'm unhappy now, then that naturally implies that I'm going to continue to be unhappy until the end of my life because I never took the opportunity to sit back and analyze the reasons why I was unhappy to begin with. So what we need then, and this is the part that I'm advancing, is things like the horror genre to come in, shake us out of this state of fallenness so that we are provided with the space necessary to look back on these unreflected upon actions and, you know, potentially put an end to them so that we can ultimately not get to the end of our lives in this ultimate pit of despair, right? Because again, what could be more fucking horrifying than living an entire life of unhappiness. That's no life at all, man. That's a life of paralysis. That's that's the life of fear. You know what I'm saying? So this is where this fucking horror genre comes into play, where it shakes us again out of the state of fallenness and creates a space where we are capable of, you know, for a brief moment, reflecting on the fragile nature of our fucking existence, the fragile grip of reality that we have, where we situate ourselves in the fucking infinite and realize like, yo, this shit is crazy as fuck. I don't know why I don't take more opportunities to, you know, reflect on just how crazy of an experience this entire reality is, but I need to fucking do so more often, right? Because inevitably... I won't have the chance to. And um, 
what's what's comforting about horror movies then in particular is that unlike traumatic events that they this is definitely according according this is the heideggerian element of hood philosophy coming in the quote-unquote heideggerian try to give that fucking asshole too much credit right but um his he articulated these thoughts and that is you know that his whole quote where you know death enters into my consciousness and and i become it shakes me out of the state of fallenness right and it makes me realize like oh fuck like i am a finite being too and one day that'll be me and if i don't start acting uh, acting accordingly i'm gonna live this this fucking terrible life, essentially, right? This unfulfilled, inauthentic life. And the beauty of horror is that unlike a catastrophic fucking event, like a death or a fucking mass shooting, like the one that occurred here in El Paso that fucking forces you to be shooken out of the state of fallenness and then leaves you with these enduring sense of trauma because of it, right? Horror offers us an out. And the out is simple. We're invested in a movie, much of which already have a fucking, this is what makes, you know, this is part of the reason that horror in many instances is kind of cheesy, but it's cheesy in, on purpose in many cases, right? Very few horror movies set out to be explicitly gratuitous, horrifying, right? Gr- uh, gratuitously horrifying. Even The Exorcist, I would argue, followed this similar formula and that as fucking horrifying as it may be, if you ask me, I think The Exorcist is legit terrifying, okay? There's some funny-ass parts to it, no doubt, but it's a fucking scary movie. Um, but even The Exorcist falls into this category in the sense that it offers us a comfortable ending. The priest inevitably excises the little young girl of her demon. The demon is eventually vanquished through the death of the priest, right? And all's well that ends well, essentially. And that's one of the beautiful things that happens with a horror movie is that it affords us this comfortable ending that inevitably we know the movie will come to an end, the lights will flick back on, and we'll go back to our normal life as existing prior to engaging in the movie, right? As opposed to a traumatic event saying, like, you actually getting fucking... uh, uh, um, possessed by a demon and having to go through the whole exorcism exorcism process on your own that would be fucking i imagine pretty fucking horrifying and would lead to some long-lasting trauma you know what i'm saying um we get the happy resolution through the horror movie we know where there's no longer the fear right this is the caveat this i'm gonna say this with like a fucking let me caveat this before i say it okay um we leave a horror movie with the the feeling of of happiness, right? We get a, a happy resolution, and we're no longer, for whatever fucking reason, have the fear of knowing that the deranged killer, right, or the demonic experiment, or experiment, the demonic spirit. Again, I said almost again. What the fuck's wrong with me, right? The demonic spirit has been vanquished, okay, and because of that, it no longer needs to be feared. Now I caveat it because obviously this feeling itself seems to continue the very same placatory practice that I was mentioning earlier, right? Because, come on, dog, you ain't dumb. You know full well that the fucking monsters in scary movies, they're not fucking real. The real monsters are humans. They exist everywhere. They're fucking everywhere, bro. The fear is always there. And what horror does is that even though it gives us the ability to jump into that water and then jump out of the water, it also introduces the realization is like, yo, this is cartoon shit, okay? This is something that we're just creating to take your mind off the inevitability, right? The real shit, though, does in fact exist, and it is always there. It is ever fucking present. But again, we like to believe this, okay? We like to believe rather otherwise, because if not, life would be fucking horrifying, bro. Again, it's a horrifying existence to be in a constant state of fear of our neighbors, okay? Of strangers, of going outside, whatever, right? Because why ultimately? Well, it's a state of anxiety and anxiety is fucking horrifying, right? 
the kind of world where you can't rely on anything, where you're so fucking terrified of the fucking inevitable that you don't even go outside. There's agoraphobic existence where, come on, man, how is that even any sort? I'm not trying to knock anybody that's suffering with the agoraphobia. But what I'm saying is that, bro, that in and of itself, that's fucking horrifying. You know what I mean? Um, so one of my favorite, you know, um, tropes, if you will, in horror, in the horror genre is people who are in a coma and they're very well aware that they're in a coma and they're trying their best to fucking reach out to the world and be like, no, I'm still fucking here. Don't pull the plug or please pull the plug, whatever the case might be. Right. But they can't, you know, state it because they're in a state of a coma and they're, you know, they can't, they don't have control of their body. Um, one of my favorite Metallica songs, I'm not really big of uh, that big of a Metallica fan, but they have that one fucking dope ass song one, right? And that's basically the fucking gist of one. They even had that dope ass video to back it up, right? It's that dude fucking amputated, no face or nothing, is, is uh, in a coma and he's trying to tell him like, please pull the fucking plug, but they can't hear him. So they don't fucking know. And he's, the, the song is describing them what they imagine, like how fucking horrifying that must be. That's basically the same thing in an agoraphoric state. You're able to move and move around. You have maybe entirely limbed up, right? But you can't even fucking go outside because you're so afraid of the fucking external world, okay? Or maybe it's so fucking terrifying that you decide to take your life, unfortunately. Like, that's all fucking horrifying shit, bro, okay? And obviously, many of us either, and this is the point, again, the central point, got to keep circling around it. We either choose to conscientiously ignore that because, again, we're just going to assume that life is okay. That life is just all right, to use the parlance of... um the conspiracy against the human race or or the really scary part because we are biologically hardwired to do so okay now <laughs> okay as going as fucking i even though i try to dismiss it okay i we, it would be pretty fucking foolish of us to do so because you know unfortunately most of the evil i would probably venture to say like 99.9% of the evil of the world is conducted by human beings now, I'll leave that 0.1% because I'm not completely, I'm probably a little bit more, probably like 95%, right? I'm not entirely unsure that demonic forces and, you know, good forces yet to that extent. I don't like using the word good and evil, but, you know, let's use spiritual forces, if you will, okay? Don't exist. So I'm, you know, pretty sure that they do influence human actions in some way. But 95% of the time, it's just fucked up people, dog, fucked up human nature, okay? Um, and those are the real monsters that I'm talking about here. The rest of the monsters, the part that I made were like, yo, like the monsters in horror movies, those shits are fucking campy cartoonish monsters. I don't give a fuck about Jason. Freddy Krueger could fucking can eat a fat one. Okay. What I'm trying to say is that I'm more worried of the Jeffrey Dahmers of the world. I'm more worried of the fucking mass shooters of the world. Those are the real fucking monsters. Okay. The people capable of committing atrocities under the name of fucking nationalism, whether it be United States, American patriotism or fucking German Nazi, you know, uh, social, uh, fascism, whatever the case might be, right? The fact is that monsters from the movies, they are in fact a welcome reprieve from the real monsters of everyday life, right? The familiar ones that we encounter on a daily basis. And honestly, as I was like writing this fucking, as I was, you know, was, uh, outlining this podcast, I thought to myself, part of this, okay, part of me at least, thinks that these people are this way because of their genetics, Right? And I, you would understand why, and that's because science tells us that this is so, okay? So it would be simple. That's a simple explanation. But I also think, again, going back to the part where I'm not sure that these non-physical forms don't exist, I do think it's so much more than that, bro, okay? So what I'm trying to say is that, like, 
I don't think that it's not possible for people to be possessed by demons, bro. Okay. I don't think it's not possible for them to be possessed by evil entities that find their way into our lives by way, again, of these placatory practices that we develop to deal with the pain of existence. These evil, if you will, I don't like to use the word evil. I just don't because that's European Christian shit. You know what I mean? Um, the, the good and evil, that's not really in the, you know, in, in, in an effort to be completely indigenized, I'm trying to divorce myself from the Abrahamic conceptions of good and evil, right? So, but I use it just for familiarity's sake, the word evil. Okay. So you have these quote unquote evil entities, right? And they exist alongside these quote unquote good entities as well. Okay. And, what I'm trying to state here then is that these ones, particularly the evil, the, the bad ones, okay, is that they feed off of the pain and suffering. I, I, I liken them to like legitimate psychic vampires, bro, okay? And these psychic vampires are sucking the life and happiness out of anything they can get their icy cold fucking grips on, bro, right? They're these demonic forces and they're very real, bro. They exist all around us and we just, we just don't acknowledge them as such, right? So I'll give you an example for me personally, okay? I'm going to get a little bit personal with this shit, but whatever. It is what it is. You know what I'm saying? Um, the reason I qualify it is not because I'm afraid to do so. I don't give a fuck, dog. I've talked about some personal shit on this podcast before. But I stated just so like, oh, you don't want to think I'm trying to be self-grandiose or whatever the case might be. I mean, it is my fucking podcast. So that inevitably that in, in, entails some sort of grandiosity, right? I've talked about it before. But um, I stated because maybe just by chance you don't fucking care and you don't want to hear it. So this would be the point to turn it off. But if you do care, we'll continue along. Right. And, um, the personal point comes where I start talking about me personally and my family history. My family history, bro, is one that is haunted. It is haunted by a demon. It's unquestionably haunted by a demon. Okay. And this demon is addiction. Okay. This demon, I'm personally convinced has seeped its way into our genetic code, bro. It's in our fucking DNA. And it entered, right, following the violent ripping of our family from our ancestral traditions, bro. Like, I'm convinced that this is the, the ancestral trauma that you hear about when it comes to, you know, you know, indigenous peoples in general who have, you know, came to contact with European people who forced their way of viewing reality onto us. You know what I mean? I think in a response to this violent fucking ripping away of our family from our ancestral traditions, that addiction seeped its way into our DNA as a means of coping with this fact, as a means of coping with the homesickness, the homesickness for our old ancestral ways, the homesickness for realizing that, like I've talked about in a previous podcast, this is, I don't belong in this world. This isn't the world that I belong into. Okay. And this is a very painful thing to have to live through. And that rather than have to do so, somewhere along our family line, addiction reared its head and said, yo, I understand that you're dealing with this fucking pain and suffering. And rather than have to go through that, I offer you instead this comforting, anesthetizing reprieve that will take away the pain from you. Not take away. That's not even a generous language to use. That will numb the pain because alcohol and other addictive practices, they don't take the pain away. They numb the pain, right? And that that's the fucking, that's how the demon that's haunting my family fucking works. It misconstrues the numbing of pain with recovery, which could be no fucking further from the truth. It could be no fucking further from the truth, okay? And, you know, me personally, I just can't help but feel is that starting with the initial trauma, that it's fucking sunk its hooks deeply into, right, 
into our genetic code and has continued to slowly spread with each, with each successive generation, right? I don't mean personally, me personally, this addiction, it's got its fucking hooks deep within me still to this day, despite the fact that I was finally able to be shooken, if you will, out of my state of fallenness and out of my comfortability to be made aware of the fact that I was living in an addictive state. Okay. And, you know, despite this fact, what I'm trying to say here is let me just qualify it. It's like, I'm not trying to give the impression that I'm recovered, bro. Cause I'm not, I'm just a work of progress. Okay. Um, and in fact, I've already said it before, but it bears repeating. I don't think there is like an ultimate recovery. There's just the process of, right? It's the process metaphysics of now what, dog? Um, but inherent in this would imply then that the majority of my waking moments, they're directed towards combating this, this fucking demon, bro, this addiction, okay? Which is hilarious in that, you know, developing the practices necessary to do so, like, you know, eating clean or working out, like I've talked about before, I become addicted to those as well. So it's like this demon. It, for those of you who have seen that show on um, HBO, fuck, I can't remember the name of it, but it's got um, the, um, all right, all right, all right. Matthew McConaughey has got that guy and Woody Harrelson. No, 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 I'm lying. It's not that one. That's fucking True Detective. It's the other one where they're looking for the fucking, the El Cucuy, essentially, okay? Um, it's got that one chick who's like a super savant and she goes around and she's like doing all that shit in her head, Okay. Um, and the point here is that it, you, you can never, you can never trace it down because as soon as it touches another person, that person now becomes the kukui. And then the person that they thought was responsible for all the heinous actions that were actually the kukui, you know, they get punished and then the attention gets taken out the kukui until it, you know, infects another person or another person ad infinitum, right? That's kind of how I feel, not only with, you know, this demon that's, you know, working its way through my fucking family. But with me personally, when I'm trying to fucking combat it, like, okay, fine. I found something that'll help me combat it. But now that thing becomes the addiction itself. And it's like, oh, fuck, now I got to combat it here. So it's just like constantly bouncing all over the place, right? So learning how to center myself, this, hence the whole what you know, process metaphysics that I was talking about in my previous episode. This is where that starts to come into play, right? Anyways, that was a somewhat of a tangent to get us back to the point that is that I try myself to be, you know, cognizant of it because my hyper militancy in this realm generally, generally, okay, it leads me to a mania that can only, that can only be placated with more destructive demons. Okay. <laughs> like eating shit food, drinking excessive amounts of alcohol, mindlessly scrolling through social media, etc. So it's like this fucking constant dynamic battle between, you know, one, one end of the spectrum and the other. Okay. Now, the funny part is that, and I use the term funny here very fucking loosely. Okay. But the funny thing is that as detrimental, okay, as these practices that I just named, okay, the eating shit food, excessive drinking, compulsively checking social media, etc. Right. Um, as funny as they may appear, they pale in comparison. They fucking pale in comparison to the demons that haunt my family. And to be fair, that once haunted me as well, okay? I would like to say with near almost certainty that I will never, ever, ever do drugs ever again, okay? And that is doing no part other than to a great awakening that I had, ironically, because of drugs when I was in my early 20s, okay? And ever since then, I wouldn't call it a drug, right? It's not a, it's not like, it's not a drug that is going to kill you, okay? Like heroin or meth or fucking crack or cocaine, okay? But uh, it's scheduled as a drug nonetheless by the United States government, so we'll use that language. 
right? So what I'm trying to say is that for me personally, I'm drug free, bro. I don't fucking need drugs, thankfully, anymore. Okay. But there was a point in time when I did. I still drink alcohol, right? And it's funny because part of my awakening implied that I was no longer going to drink alcohol, but I came back to it for some reason and haven't been able to kick it ultimately, but maybe one day I will, right? I hope to. I've tried, okay? I'm just in the interest of full disclosure, but it always comes crawling back into my life and I'm like, fuck you, stupid demon. I got to kill you. You know what I mean? Anyways, um, my level of alcohol um, dependency, not dependency, that's a terrible word to use, usage, okay? Pales in comparison to the fucking levels of alcohol, straight up dependency and abuse that exist in my family and drug abuse and dependency that exist in my family, okay? Um... Honestly, bro, I can't fucking emphasize this enough when I tell you that addiction is a demon that has fucking ripped my family apart, like legitimately ripped us apart, okay? It's it's ripped my immediate family to pieces, okay? And the person that I am, you know, thinking of specifically is a direct result to this fact, right? So in returning back to the whole theme of horror, like you start to realize, yo, living with addiction is fucking horrifying, Living with people who are addicted to substances is fucking horrifying, bro. It's not something that I would, yeah, yeah, motherfuck Mike Myers, dog. Motherfuck the figure, motherfuck, you know, Pumpkinhead, all that shit, the Exorcist, Pinhead, fuck all of them, dog. That level of horror pales in comparison to living with and through addiction. It pales in fucking comparison to living with people who are addicted to substances, okay? That's real fucking horror there. So, you know, in this particular sense, I'm speaking of an addiction that has plagued three of, you know, three of the most important people in my life, bro. I'm talking here, my mom, my uncle, and my aunt, dog. These are like three of the most important people in my life, right? And what's fucking fascinating to me is that by all accounts, these are people who should have not have done what they did because they had more than I ever did because of them. You know what I mean? And what I mean by that is that they were given a path in life that, fuck, dude, most people in the hood could only fucking wish for. And that path was loving, caring parents, stable fucking home. My own mother, dog, was incapable of giving me the very thing that she had, okay? Now, I'm not going to knock her for it too bad, for which we'll see here shortly why. But the point that I'm trying to say is, like, that's how fucking pervasive this demon fucking is in our family. That even when all the odds are in your favor, you have these loving parents who bring an entire family to Mexico, from Mexico to the United States in order to make a better living for them. It is still able to rear its fucking hooks into them in such a way where they squander not only their life, but potentially endanger the life of their future offspring, namely me and my brothers and sisters, okay? Now, I know I said aunts and uncles, but motherfuck that European conception of family, dog. I was, my 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 cousin, for instance, he's eight years younger than, or older than, or no, yes, eight years younger than I, okay? Despite the fact that his mom is four years younger than my mom, okay? We were both born around the same time. My mom was like, what, nine, 17 when she had me? My aunt was like 13, 14 or 15. She was fucking young, dog. And she and my mom had a child around fucking eight days apart from one another, okay? And that's my cousin, which is my brother, because we were both raised by my fucking grandma, okay? So, um, again, they jeopardized, they jeopardized essentially our our futures and they completely threw away their fucking lives because of this fucking addiction demon dog it got it got their hooks so deeply into them okay now when we were younger we dealt with this shit because we were always told by our grandparents that family is all we got okay and that we must stick by our family no matter what 
But personally, as I have gotten older and I've continued along this recovery process, trying to recover from the fucking bullshit, needless bullshit, straight up, that I had to go through because of my fucking mom and my aunt, okay? Motherfuck my dad. Like, that guy could fuck off and burn in hell for all I concern. So I'm not even going to include him. I'm not trying to just bash my mom, but he just wasn't there, okay? So unfortunately, my mom's the one that gets the fucking, the, 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 the flack for this, okay? But it is what it is, dog. Um... As I've gotten older, the antics just, they grew old, okay? Having to, it's fucking horrifying, dog, looking into the eyes of a loved one that you know is no longer there. They got the fucking shark eyes, bro, okay? Completely black pupils, and you know that no matter what you say or do, they're just not there, okay? That's just a complete different fucking person. It's horrifying, no less, when that person is your mom or somebody that you deeply fucking value in this planet. It's even more horrifying when they fucking do stupid shit, okay? Uh, when they do violent shit, when they do shit that jeopardizes your fucking well-being as a person, okay? And as I've gotten older, like, I just, you know, I don't feel the need to have to subject myself to that kind of horror anymore. You know what I mean? Like, the reason I'm qualifying is because I know it's kind of a cultish thing to do. Like, I cut your fucking family off. Like, no, dude, like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that, like, I don't necessarily feel the need to fucking have to be a writer that like, oh, it's okay that you act like a piece of shit because you're fucking, you know, drunk and wired. I'll forgive you and we'll just pretend like it never happened. Now, fuck that, dog. You just cut them off. Like, just, I don't have that. If I want that kind of horror in my life now, I'm just going to go watch Evil Dead. You know what I'm trying to say? That's the point I'm trying to get to. Okay. Why? Because I've seen the face of addiction, bro. I've seen it possess the people that you love. Okay. And have them again, act in ways that you would never imagine that they'd be capable of. Okay. I've also seen, and this is the part now, we're getting to the part about my moms, right? I've seen those same faces, bro, free to an extent. I don't want to say free. That's like too generous of a term. Let's say uninhibited, if you will, by the effects of addiction, okay? And in that same face that just maybe the night before or a week before you saw this completely shark-eyed alien person that you don't even fucking recognize, right? The fucking invasion of the body snatchers type shit. You see in that very same face, sadness, okay? The sadness inherent with realizing that they were, you know, once again overtaken, if you will, by something that they couldn't control. It's like a fucking werewolf, bro. As soon as the fucking full moon comes out, they're like, oh, fuck, I can't stop this. And now I'm going to turn into this fucking thing that I don't want to do. And it's going to cause me to act in all sorts of crazy ways. And I fucking hate it. But now I'm fucking, uh, it happened. And now I'm dealing with the aftermath. And it's just so fucking terrifying and horrifying and devastating. And, you know, I wish there was something I could do. I'm desperate for something that will, you know, keep it from happening again. But... I know full well that it's all going to be in vain, okay? For beneath the desire to heal rests something deeper, rests something more problematic and powerful. And that is the horror of existence, okay? And again, the ensuing desire or biological precept to escape this fucking horror of existence, even if only temporary, dog, okay? So, you know... (sighs) I'll just, you know, just to get a little bit more fucking into it, because fuck it, dog, why not? We're already here. Let's fucking finish it up, right? The last straw in my life with these three people, it came, it was really horrible. Again, more, more, more it's horrifying, dog. Like, you know, you have these people that, your mom, your own mom, dog, okay? Um, An aunt who was kind of like a, a second mom and an uncle who's kind of like a father figure in the absence of, you know, an actual father figure. Think honestly, I think fuck all the time. I'm like, God, fuck, man. I'm so thankful that I had my grandparents, bro. Because who the fuck knows what kind of a disaster I would be without them? Okay, probably wouldn't be doing this podcast. That's for fuck sure. Anyways, um, with these people, the last straw came within a five year period of one another, which was very fucking. You know, it it is what it is. Okay, 
but you make the difficult remove the, the difficult decision again of removing them from your life. I'm not, I'm not trying to advocate for this cultish type behavior, dog. I'm saying for me personally, right now, I didn't have a choice but to do it. Okay. And just for the sake of recovery on my own behalf, okay, I couldn't recover, okay, through what they put from what they put me through as long as they were still in my life. It was that simple, okay? But um, it was this painful yet necessary step, okay? Because again, I realized that as long as they were in my life, I was just going to continue along with the same antics that traumatized me to begin with. And as long as they were doing the same shit, like even even worse, okay? And because of that, that I was just never going to heal, bro. So... I made the difficult but necessary, in my opinion, decision to just remove them from my life temporarily, hopefully, but it's been a while now. Okay. And, you know, it's fucked up when you start to realize like this is all time that we'll never get back, but that's not a decision that I, it was kind of like my hand was forced, bro. Like, what do you expect me to do, man? Okay. I don't want to repeat this fucking cycle that I was talking about where you're unhappy for all of your existence. I want to try to live as on as authentic and happy a life as possible. And if I'm repeating these cycles, namely the ones that are a result of the way that you fucking raised us, it's just not going to happen. And the only way that I can ensure that this does happen is to remove the source. And that was in many instances, these people. Okay. Now in the beginning, I was really militant about it because, you know, <laughs> um, that's just the kind of person that I am. I'm just a very militant person. I say I'm going to do something and I fucking stick straight to it, dog. There is no there's no wiggle room, okay? But in retrospect, I started to think about it. And I was like, yo, much of that militancy, again, has more to do with the sadness-induced anger that emerges from confronting your own trauma and less with the actual need to have them out of my life in order to heal, okay? So... What I mean by that is like, I felt the need to be so militant about it because it was a kind of a reaction on my behalf, right? And the reaction was the direct fucking, it's like a default emotion. The default emotion for me is whenever shit goes wrong, anger, right? That is really just sadness. It's sadness induced anger, okay? It's sadness masking as anger, okay? Because anger is a legitimate source of outlet for male frustration and sadness. You know what I'm saying? So... Um, it's culturally culturally appropriate for men to act angry, not so much so when they start when they start talking about how sad they are, right? It's like you fucking you, you, it questions your legitimacy as a man. This whole toxic masculinity bullshit, you know what I'm saying? And that was for the longest time that was my default, okay? And just just realizing that was fucking beautiful for me personally because it was great in the sense that again it signified progress. And, you know, in this healing process of my recovery, me personally, right? Namely, in terms of how that anger was slowly beginning to lose its grip on me. Like, I'm no longer angry. So now I can fucking actually start to focus on the real source. And that is the sadness. Sadness of what? The trauma. Okay. And once you consider, once I consider the sadness, okay, so much more of the equation began to reveal itself as well. And what I realized is that one of the driving forces behind my anger, right, towards these people and thus the sadness that I would experience because of it was how fucking selfish, seriously, dog, that they were and for doing what they did to my brothers and sisters and I. Now, let's just be clear. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't harm us in a sexual or physical way. It was psychological and emotional trauma. Okay. Um, which, you know, it's not, it's not a scale, dog. This isn't hierarchy, right? This is a whole, this is why I'm so fucking keen on influence uh, on stressing this not what hierarchy, uh, non-hierarchical metaphysics, right? This is why I felt the need to drop another fucking not what podcast, specifically for my sake, for this podcast continuity sake. 
so that I could say shit like this and have the philosophical background to justify it, right? It's not a matter of what trauma is more, uh, you know, traumatizing or whose trauma is more traumatizing. Like, it's fucking trauma's trauma, dog. Like, it's just, it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? There's, it's a non-hierarchical approach to trauma, right? And so, in this sense, what I'm trying to say is that, like, they didn't, you know, if you want to scale it in terms of a hierarchy, it wasn't like, you know, physical or sexual trauma, but it's fucking trauma nonetheless, dog. Spiritual trauma, emotional trauma, psychological trauma. You know what I'm saying? And in this sense, it was the fact that they had fucking robbed us, dog. They had oh, they had robbed us of a childhood. My brothers, my, my sisters and I, okay? And for what? So they themselves could continue to extend their childhood longer? Like, that's fucking bullshit, dog. Like, legit, straight up fucking selfish bullshit, okay? What's so selfish about it? Namely, because before you go into this whole fucking, oh, what was I? You fucking had no childhood. Billions of children didn't have a childhood before you. Yeah, well, that's their fucking parents' fault too. Like, what the fuck? It's, again, it's not a competition, bro. That's the whole point behind the antinatalism. While I state that I am, again, not necessarily an advocate of, I completely understand their argument. If you want to fucking do the what was I bullshit, blame the fucking parents that fucking mindlessly bring children into the world like myself, okay? Not the people that had to fucking experience the, you know, the ensuing trauma of existence. That's just not helping anybody is what I'm trying to say, Okay. So in this particular sense, you talk about how fucking legitimately selfish it is for you to bring children into this existence just to fucking ignore them, okay? Children want love. They want to be loved. They want to give love. Children are love, okay? I am not the person who thinks that humans are innately evil. I think that humans are innately good and they are made evil. Some of us are born evil, Okay, like fucking Hitler, but those are outliers, dog. And for the most part, most human beings are born good. They're fucking born loving and they want to give and receive love. So how fucking selfish of it is it of you then to have children only to deprive them of the ability to do so, okay? Because if that's the fucking case, dog, you should have just worn a condom and have been done with it, okay? But no, that's not what my fucking, uh, that's not what our family did, okay? They selfishly selfishly they were too selfish to even wear a fucking condom can you believe that all right and because of that we were bought into this bitch and made to suffer needlessly <laughs> right and now we're here okay and now that we were there we 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 had to be the ones to deal with the consequences of their actions and the enduring desire to hold on to their youth like, nah, man, that's fucking bullshit, bro. I'm sorry, mom, that you had me in fucking high school, yo. But honestly, I can't help feel as though, you know, maybe that caused a lot of resentment on her behalf towards me. Like, this motherfucker, he robbed me of my childhood. Like, what the fuck? I didn't ask to be born. I, you know, I'm sorry that you didn't have the fucking sexual education necessary to, you know, fucking wear a condom. But at some point, it becomes pretty fucking obvious before you start fucking that a side effect of fucking is having children, right? So again, like, if you didn't want to have a kid, I'm not speaking just to my mom here. I'm speaking to your mom and all the other moms of people who are dealing with this kind of shit too. You know what I mean? Like, at some point, you got to fucking take responsibility for the action and realize, like, mm, maybe I should have fucking, you know, made some choices. If I had just worn a condom, I wouldn't have had my fucking childhood robbed from me from a child that I had when I was in fucking high school. And in turn, I wouldn't have traumatized that child by depriving him of the love and affection that I was given, but was incapable of giving in turn. You know what I mean? So, again, this idea that, well, you can't blame a person for having you in. No, fuck that, dude. Like, that's ultimately their decision, and they need to be held accountable for it, Okay. And that was the realization. That was the primary source of my anger when I realized like that. This is why I'm so fucking mad. Okay. But then a more, a deeper, a deeper sense of frustration and understanding of the anger came to mind or came, I, I came to understand. And it was that 
how selfish it was that, you know, they did something to us that was never done to them, right? And conversely, that we, me personally, I am unwilling or maybe even unable, okay, to want to do the same to others in the future, okay? Um, And what it is is that they were unwilling and unable to provide the same that was provided to them, okay? And that is the loving parenting. And here's the critical part, the option to grow up quicker than they needed to. I was forced to grow up quicker than I needed to. I wasn't given an option. My mom, she was given an option. Don't fucking have unprotected sex. Like, I'm not trying to be Ben Shapiro over here, but it's pretty fucking obvious, bro. You know what I mean? Um, She had to grow up as a teenager, right? Thankfully, she had her mom there to back her out of it, though. Her mom being my grandmother. So in that respect, thankfully, so did I, okay? But, um, and the same I should say holds true for my aunt and my uncle, okay? Me and my brothers, my sisters, okay? Uh, We didn't have that choice, bro. It was forced upon us again by these absentee parents who were unwilling to give to us the same as what was given to them, right? And honestly, the absence of parents isn't really that critical because what's, again, there's millions, hundreds of millions, billions maybe even of folk who have gone through the very same struggle. And mercifully, we were fortunate enough to have our grandparents. So let's not focus on that element of it, okay? What we're trying to focus on, what I'm trying to get you to focus on here at least, is that the real anger of the situation comes from realizing not just all the sacrifice that my grandparents had to make that was just basically flushed down the toilet because of these people, right? But more importantly, the fucking opportunity that was lost because of it. The time, the time, bro, the time. Just, you know, leading up towards that podcast on time, slowly but surely, that was lost because of it, okay? And that's where the anger fucking comes from, bro. The anger of the loss of time, the horrifying reality that time is the only currency that we have and that our time on this earth was compromised because of whatever fucking actions that came before us, right? The horrifying realization that you're already set up on this fucking path to fail, dog. You've been born to a fucking unwed teenage mother who doesn't even have fucking have a a high school diploma yet, right? She fucking doesn't have a steady income, so you're going to be forced to grow up as I was at fucking the will, the whim, I should say, of my grandparents who were fucking taking care of her at the same time that she was trying to take care of us. So they were basically taking care of all of us, right? Uh, and grandparents who are too old to work. So there's not going to be much money to go around. And on top of just you, you have other siblings to, that they're going to have to take care of as well. Like, fuck, dude. And that you're going to grow up in an environment where for many people, this is going to be just enough for them to fucking seek outlets in the struggles that were already fucking planned, if you will, if you ask me personally, by the fucking government, like, you know, the school to prison pipeline, the prison industrial complex, et cetera, right? The military industrial complex, like your your only reprieve is going to come in through one of those fucking horrors as well. So it's like this fucking trap, dog. And you realize that, fuck, man, unless you have the moment to sit back and reflect, but more importantly, an opportunity to heal from the shit that you've reflected upon in your, that you've encountered upon your reflections, that's going to be the path that you end up on. And that's fucking horrifying, bro, because what could be more horrifying than spending the entirety of your life in prison? All for some fucking bullshit ass reason, like you were born in the fucking hood and set up to fail from the get go. That you're going to spend the rest of your life in the fucking, you know, um, or rather that the only outlet that you're going to have in life is through the fucking United States military. And that could potentially lead you in a fucking body bag. You know what I mean? Like that shit is horrifying, bro. And then, you know, just a realization of how much of the potential, we're at least ideally, prima facie, at first glance, of life seems to have already been fucking taken away, okay? But then, you know, as you continue, as I continue along, right, with my or my healing journey, if you will, 
I came to realize that, okay, much of this, to be fair, is not, let me try to put this in the nicest way possible, okay? I began to realize essentially that the people that I've been mentioning here, my mom, my uncle, and my aunt, they were people just like everyone else, okay? And that in turn, everything that I've been talking about, the horror and pain of existence applies to them just the same, dog. And this is the part where I say, I don't really hold it against them anymore. You know what I mean? And as such, that it's unfair of me to hold them to this impossible fucking standard that I don't hold anyone else to. Like when I'm doing this podcast, I'm in, I have this imaginary audience in my head. There's people who listen to it. Thankfully, shout out to you for doing so, right? But I don't, for the most part, know what you look like. So I just imagine what you look like in my head. And when I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you with like as much radical openness and forgiveness as possible. I'm not, not like that. I have, I'm not saying forgiveness in the sense that I need to forgive you or something, but I'm trying to convey the idea of forgiveness in the sense that you should feel empowered to forgive yourself. You know what I'm saying? So I started thinking to myself, like, how is it that I don't expect random people to uphold or even myself this impossible fucking standard? But I'm expecting my mom, my uncle, and my aunt to do so. Like, that's not fucking fair of them. That's not fair of me either. You know what I'm saying? As fucking volatile, as much of a fucking traumatizing experience that these people are responsible for in my life, okay? These are people just like everybody else, bro, okay? And that there's more to these people and there's more to their stories than just, you know, these inert bodies who have been influenced, who have been overtaken, if you will, by the demonic spirit of possession and are being acted upon through drugs and alcohol over raising their children or choosing, you know, drugs and alcohol over raising their children, right? There's people, those same people are people who, you know, had to confront the nature of their reality, the inevitability of their death, who have dealt with death on a firsthand basis, both the friends and loved ones, right? They are people who you know, have been in unhealthy and abusive relationships. These are, you know, my mom, my uncle, my, you know, your mom, your uncle, your aunt, whatever. Like these are, these are not static individuals. They didn't come to us in the form that we are familiar with them, right? As their entirety of their life, they, they they went through a process themselves. Okay. And like us and many of the people before them, they chose the only ways available to them to cope with the pain of this existence. Okay. And in doing so, that's what activated the demon that lurks in the dark recesses of our DNA in the process, right? So <clears throat> this in and of itself was, I'm, I'm taking a long way here to circling back to the importance of the horror philosophy. It's a really long way. It's kind of why I prefaced it, but it, it's out there now, okay? Um, and, and circling all the way back to, we, you know, this was revealed, this is where the horror is going to come back into it. This realization, this healing element was revealed to me in a dream, hence the importance of dreams and not what philosophy, right? Um, via, via dream analysis specifically, right? It was this disturbing ass, fucking disturbing, bro, like haunting fucking dream that I had once where this crazed maniac who fucking for some reason and perhaps even hilariously took the form of the rapper Necro. For those of you who are familiar with Necro, he's like a horrorcore rapper, right? I fucking love horrorcore. I don't know why. Okay. Anyways, um, this rapper Necro was literally butchering a fucking defenseless child dog and it fucked my world up that dream just thinking about it right now is like fuck that shit was traumatizing that dream okay it was a defenseless child dog and this fucking rapper was like literally with a chainsaw like butchering it in half for those of you who have ever seen um uh the terrifier the terrifier fuck i forgot the name of the movie specifically off the top of my head but i'm pretty sure it's a terrifier it's the movie where the dude is dressed like a clown with black and white he comes out only for halloween i'm almost positive it's the terrifier right anyways 
Um, there's a scene in the Terrifier where he's like sawing this chick in half. She's hanging, she's like hanging like this, right? Upside down. And he's fucking, he's just like saws, he saws her in half. <laughs> that was kind of how my dream was, but with like a defenseless child, dog. And it was rapper, the rapper Necro, no less, that was doing it. And if that alone, the dream wasn't fucking haunting enough, my uncle was standing right by the motherfucker and doing absolutely nothing to stop it. Now, again, this is a fucking powerful dream, bro. Just thinking about it right now is fucking me up, right? Not like fucking me up like, oh my God, because I've, you'll see, I've already recovered from the dream. But just the image is, is so fucking shocking. You know what I mean? It's just, you'd be a fucking maniac to not be, you know, impacted by it. I'm not saying that you're a maniac if you're not impacted by it, but I had a dream. So obviously, you know, it's like right there. But what I'm trying to tell you is that as powerful of a fucking dream it was, as legit terrifying as it was, it's one that haunted me for a long fucking time, dog, honestly. It's, it's, I'm going to keep emphasizing. It was so terrifying, bro. It literally jolted me out of my sleep. Okay. Like I violently shook out of my sleep. Like what the fuck? In order to have to no longer experience that shit. You know what I'm saying? As terrifying as the visual was though, the part that really fucked with me, dog, was wondering what my uncle was just doing there. Okay. He was just sitting idly by, yo. He was just in the dream, right? In, in this dream that I had, he was just sitting there idly watching this fucking maniac harm his defenseless child. For all, you know, like, and I couldn't make sense of it because, yo, like for all of the faults that my uncle has, he truly is pure of heart. Like honest, honest to God truth. I'm talking, he's the, he's the, he's the kind of motherfucker that'll give you the last of his food just so you can eat, right? He might go hungry, but as long as you ate, you're good. And I am not even over-exaggerating that in a little bit. He's the kind of motherfucker that won't have money, but he'll give you what he has just to ensure that you got what you need. You know what I mean? So what was really fucking with me then is like, yo, how can this dude, my uncle, yo, that's like so pure of heart, like honestly, despite all of his faults, just sit there in a fucking dream that I was having and do nothing while this fucking maniac is butchering children, right? At birth, okay? It's basically like, oh, this is a fucked up dream. I was like literally babies, infants, okay? Like newborns, all right? But then I started like, I sat with the dream dog for a long fucking time. Like for a long time. I'm talking about like months, yo. I sat with this fucking dream. Like it was just like, when it first hit, I was like, fuck. Like it took me like a week to get that dream out of my head. And then inevitably, the recurring thing that I've been talking about for the, the beginning of this podcast came into play. And I forgot about the dream, you know? And then it, sometimes it would like hit me and I fucking jolt out of my fucking state of fallenness. I'm like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? But then, you know, inevitably it would fade away. Until one day, dog, after further dream analysis, you know, sticking with the dream, sitting with the dream, analyzing the dream. I realized that this quote-unquote crazed psychopath that was butchering these fucking children, it wasn't necro, man. It was addiction, dog. It was addiction that was manifesting in my dream, okay, in a familiar form. The familiar form just happened to be necro, okay? And what he was doing is he was butchering, if you will, quote-unquote, all the children in my ancestral bloodline, dog. That's what was happening, okay? I'm convinced that's what was happening. Maybe if the scientists are correct, there was nothing more than a fucking bunch of random firing in my brain and it was stimulating this artificial fucking reality that wasn't even real and has no significance. Whatever. I don't fuck with that. You know, like, yeah, okay, maybe that's how it happened, but this is why it happened. Why did it happen? To reveal to me that there was these children in my ancestral bloodline, myself included, my uncle included, right? Both past, present, and future since the fucking conquest, but probably even longer, Right. And it wasn't their, it wasn't even their physical bodies that were being butchered, bro. It was their fucking spirit. It was their soul, their spirit, dog. Okay. And they were being annihilated, right? What were they being annihilated by? The demon of addiction. 
And my uncle, dog, was one of those children who has had my mom, my aunt, me, at one point still recovering from it now, okay? Their spirit fucking mutilated by this addiction, dog. And now that my uncle, in this particular sense, because that's the one that was in the dream, now that he's an he, now that he's an adult, he's basically under a spell, dog. Is how I came to see it, right? Um, and the spell, it's the spell of addiction, right? And it's operating not as a person, bro. My uncle, in this sense, doesn't operate as a person when he's under this spell, but he's kind of like a white of sorts, like the white here being like the zombies of Game of Thrones. That you have the Night King, the Night King would be the addiction, and then you have the whites, the little zombies. That's kind of my uncle, unfortunately, dog. The Night King is the addiction, and my my uncle is the little white, the little zombie, right? Acting at the behest of the Night King addiction okay so in realizing this i was like yo this shit hit me like a fucking ton of bricks dog because i realized yo my uncle's not a bad guy he's just been shackled by addiction bro right and this is the underlying fucking horror of it all we like to imagine that the examples you know they're unique to certain kinds of people that my example is unique and all that kind of shit right and that potentially even that they could never happen to us but Bro, this is fucking sorely mistaken, man. Sorely, sorely mistaken. The reality is that, yo, horror, the horror, the true horror is how average it all is. Stories like the one that I'm sharing with you, I share my story with you so I can, you know, so we can relate. We can trauma bond, if you will. You know what I'm saying? But the reality is that, like I talked about earlier with the ants, bro, my my, my story is not unique and it's not special and there's nothing uniquely redeeming about it, Okay. And that's the real fucking horror. It's just so average. It's so every day that we've become desensitized to it. We just assume that reality has to be this way, okay? And it's in this this desensitization, right? Where what I refer to in an homage to Jay-Z as the evils, okay? They slowly start to make their way in, right? So the evils, dog, dear God, I wonder, can you save me, right? Listen. Not fucking with a Ouija board isn't going to stop these forces from presenting themselves to us, okay? I mean, it could, you know, like, don't get me twisted. If you don't fuck with Ouija boards, that's on you, dog, right? And doing so, at best, it, you know, maybe, maybe, if you do fuck with this Ouija board, at, at best, it's going to speed up the process of these fucking forces entering into our world, okay? And entering into our lives, right? But the truth is that they're they're already among us, dog. This is the monistic cosmovision. There's not a distinction. There's not an over there and an over here. It's just one thing. Those spirits are that shit's already here, dog. It's already among us, okay? And you're not just gonna fucking magically summon them through a Ouija board. They're already here, okay? And again, I cringe at even calling it good or evil because that's the fucking Christian lens, bro. And a better way to frame it would be it's ultimately ambivalent to the needs of humans, right? These The addiction demon doesn't give a fuck about human beings, dog. It uses human beings in order to ensure its sustained existence. We are, it's a fucking vampire, dog. It's a psychic vampire. It needs a source of energy and we are the source of energy. We are non-special in any other, in any fucking way at all whatsoever as a fucking ant is not special to an aardvark who's eating it, to an anteater that's eating it. It's just a source of fuel. You know what I'm saying? But somewhere in there, we like to say to ourselves, oh, okay, hold up. I'm not just a fucking source of fuel. I'm a unique individual. I'm a person. I have agent. I have agency. I have a fucking choice to make. My life is fucking uniquely special. At least I tell myself. At least I want to believe, right? Because if not, what's the fucking point of existing? And because of that, I don't want to be fucking just this fucking source of energy for the psychic vampire to continue existing in this sense. The, uh, um, addiction. I want to be more than that. And the only way that I can do that is if I become cognizant of this and, you know, stop myself from becoming a source of this fucking psychic vampire right 
But for many of us, that opportunity just doesn't, it either doesn't present itself or we conscientiously choose to ignore it for whatever reason. And that's where the real fucked up shit happens because it's in these moments of ennui, dog, where they fucking fester and they're just looking for a way in. These fucking psychic vampires are just looking for a way in. They feed off of this fucking negative energy, if you ask me, you know what I'm saying? And many others like me who believe in that kind of shit, you know what I mean? And ultimately, then what it boils down to is the horror of realizing is that we're, if that's the case, dog, we're not special, okay? We're all the same, and it can happen to any of us. The shit that I'm talking to you, it could happen to you. You could perpetuate that shit to your children. Your children could perpetuate it to them, even if it's never been in your fucking, even if, 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 even if you didn't introduce it to your children, like my grandparents. My, my grandfather's a teetotaler, dog. He don't drink at all. My grandma's same thing. They don't drink or do drugs. And yet that still didn't stop the fucking addiction demon from fucking taking their children. You know what I mean? So this is in philosophy. This is to circle it all around and bring it to an end, right? This is what's referred to as epistemic horror, dog. The realization that in order to have some sort of fucking truth, in order to have some sort of understanding of reality, in order to feel some sort of comfortability, we need to have some sort of epistemic fucking foundation to base it on. A foundation to base all of our knowledge and thus our ensuing notions of truth on. And in the absence of such an epistemic foundation, we are left instead with epistemic horror. The realization that we not only have no knowledge to base our entirety of our lives on, but as I introduced at the beginning of the podcast, that we may never, because philosophy may very well be useless, gain such knowledge. And that as such, we're literally just thrown into this bitch, left to fend for our own, like a fish in fucking poison water. Too afraid to live, too afraid to die. Tell me again, dog, what the fuck kind of life that is. Because if you ask me personally, that's a fucking horrifying existence. And yeah, it's been about <laughs> an hour and a half now. So if you've made it's been like an hour and 40 minutes. So if you've made it, it's been like an hour and a half. I'm tripping, right? So if you made it this far along, I really do appreciate the fuck out of you. I hope it was enough to make up for the week and a half long hiatus between podcasts. And yeah. I look forward to bringing you the next one. But until then, I hope you all have a great rest of your day. And I'll see you next time. Peace. Heal the trauma, bro. It'll be worth it.